I want to welcome everybody in the room. I also want to welcome everybody watching us on the stream and on TV. I also want to welcome all of our multi-site campuses all over the state of New Mexico and all the way out in Belize. We're glad that you're with us. also want to welcome everyone who's incarcerated, who's watching us. God has a plan and a purpose for your life as well. Would you welcome everybody? I appreciate that. We're in the middle of a series called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. It happened on April the 19th, 1995. Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols set a bomb in front of the federal building off in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. This was the largest terrorist attack on U.S. soil until 9-11-2001. Still stands as the largest domestic terrorist attack that the United States of America has ever endured. 168 people lost their lives. Hundreds of other people were seriously injured. My goodness, when the bomb exploded, it took one-third of the building off. Well, they had to demolish the building, and years later, they put a memorial down in that same spot. If you're ever in Oklahoma City, make sure you stop by the memorial. There are 168 chairs. Those 168 chairs represent the different people who passed away in the belief that that's where they were sitting or that's where they were at when the bomb exploded. Now, just catty corner, just down the street, just a little bit, there is a Catholic church called the St. Joseph's Catholic Church. And on their property, they have erected a statue of Jesus who's dressed in a white robe. He looks out and sees empty spaces, 168 empty spaces. He has his hand on his face, and he's weeping. Friends, I think it's safe to say that the world that we live in is not the way that it's supposed to be. Now we have death and sickness and suffering and pain and murder and racism and, and lying and gossiping and every form of evil that mankind can come up with in their evil and wicked hearts. Now it didn't start this way, did it? No, in the beginning, it was just the way that it was supposed to be. God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. He then created Eve out of one of Adam's ribs. He put Adam into a deep sleep, took one of the ribs, and formed the woman. And everything was the way it was supposed to be. And Adam and Eve walked with God in the coolness of the garden, and they were at peace with all the animals. My goodness, they were at peace with each other. They were in a secure relationship. They were fully committed to each other because there was nobody else to be committed to. It was just the two of them. I don't think there was ever a time that Adam thought, you know, I'm going to compare my wife with the wife or, or some other woman. I don't think there was ever a time Eve thought about getting on Facebook or Instagram and looking up an old high school sweetheart in algebra class because there was no algebra and there was no one else to look up at the time. I don't think when Adam came home late from work that Eve stayed up worried about where he was at. I don't think that she stayed up waiting for Adam to fall asleep so she could count his ribs just in case. You understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, it was perfect. Everything was the way that it was supposed to be. There was no sin. 
There was no stress. There was no worries. There was no anxiety. It was perfect. What happened? God placed a tree in the garden. He said, you can eat from any tree that you want to eat from, but just don't eat from this one single tree. Why did God put the tree there? Well, we talked about it last week. For anyone to have a relationship with someone else, you have to choose that relationship. You can't force someone on someone else. That's not true love. And so it was God's way of saying, listen, you can choose the tree and rebel against me, or you can choose me. Well, Adam and Eve, they made their choice, didn't they? The serpent comes slithering up in chapter 3. And again, we don't know how much time happened between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Was it a few days, a few weeks, a few decades? We don't know. But the serpent came in and he used an age-old technique that still works to this day. Listen, Satan is your enemy. And he's come to steal, kill, and destroy everything about you. And he uses the same old tactics that he used with Adam and Eve. Here's what he does. He tries to make God sound unreasonable. Look at what happens here in this passage of scripture. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Again, do you see how he's trying to make God sound unreasonable? Did God say to you, you can't eat from any tree that's in the garden? That's cray-cray right there. That's ridiculous. How are you going to survive if you can't enjoy any of that beautiful fruit that is out there? He's trying to make God's commandments unreasonable. And she says, oh, no, 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 no. God said we could eat from those trees. We just can't eat from that one right there. That's the tree we can't have. And I really want that tree. I'll tell you what, I want that tree more than anything else. And God is so ridiculous. Let me tell you something God said. God said you can't even touch it. There's no place in Scripture where God tells Adam and Eve that they can't touch the fruit of that tree. The only restriction was they must not eat from the fruit of that tree. Do you see what Eve's doing? She's taking the bait of Satan. She's making God's commands unreasonable. How many times have you read the Bible? How many times have you sat in church and something that the preacher said ticked you off? And you said, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. That's unreasonable. When you allow that to fester in your heart, you need to understand something. It's just a matter of time before you rebel against God. When you question his goodness, when you question his love, when you question his devotion to you, when you make God's commandments a burden in your life, oh friend, it's just a matter of time before you end up in a place you never wanted to be, doing something you never wanted to do. Satan began to whisper into her ear. And we've all heard the different things that Satan will say to us from time to time. It's just this one time. It's not that big of a deal. You don't have to worry about it. No one's ever going to find out. It's not like you're going to murder anybody. People do a lot worse things than you do. Can you hear the whisper? Ooh, that's creepy right there, I tell you what. It's the first time I've heard that. That's just creepo right there. We're going to do that every service. I'm telling you that right now. That's good. <laughs> he whispers in her ear. He tries to get her to rationalize it. Tries to get her to justify it, And he lies to her. He gives her a little bit of truth, but a whole bunch of lie, doesn't he? This is what he says. You won't die. 
serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Their eyes will be open and they'll see things, but nothing that they want to see. Oh, he's truthful. Your eyes will be opened. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And the evil that you've done, well, you'll have to live with that pretty much for the rest of your life. You see, he tries to make it sound good, but in reality, it's probably not good at all, right? You ever seen those prescription drug commercials that they have on TV? You ever see those? First 10 seconds sounds really good, doesn't it? And then the next 50 seconds, it's like one side effect after another side effect after another side. But the first 10 seconds is great. Got a couple of people outside in the bathtub. Have you seen this commercial? You know what I'm talking about? Or, or you got them out there and they're picnicking and they're having the time of their life and the family's having a great time. And it appears that the woman's doing better because she's taking this miracle drug. And they say, oh, if you just take this drug every six hours, all your joint pain will go away. And you're sitting there going, man, that's amazing. You know, sometimes I got joint pain. I think I need to get this drug right now. I probably need to call my doctor tell him I need this drug. I really don't have a big problem, but that drug looks awesome right there. I'm going to get me some of that drug. That's what I'm going to do right now. First 10 seconds. Looks so good. Looks so wonderful. Take it every six hours, and you'll remove all of your joint pain. And then the side effects come in. After 10 seconds, it says, could cause joint pain. Right? <laughs> Isn't that how that works? This drug may cause joint pain. It may cause explosive diarrhea when you think you... This may cause explosive diarrhea where you think you might, might have pooped a lung out. If bowel movements become greater than 12 per hour, consult your doctor. You could have shortness of breath and it may cause you to pant and scratch like a dog. Do not take this product if you're uneasy with lockjaw. <laughs> Women experience a lowering of the voice and an increase in ankle hair. <laughs> I'm not done. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was funny. In some cases, you might feel the sensation of having a phantom third arm that swings around your head. 20 minutes after taking the pills, you'll feel an insatiable craving to take another dose. Avoid this with all your power. That's what Satan does. He says, oh, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be great. It's going to be the most wonderful thing. And, and when you first do it, it's, it's, it's exciting, isn't it? Eve takes that fruit. She eats it. Nothing tragic happens to her. Tastes really good. This is exciting. Wow. Sin is rebellion is so she gives some damage oh i'm fine look at me i'm fine you take some too he takes some he eats it everything is great how many times you felt that way you 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 get conned into doing something you deceive yourself satan deceives you you do the forbidden thing that you know you shouldn't do you know the consequences and you do it anyway and it's so exciting in the moment you say things to yourself like got away with it I got away with cheating on that test. Professor never found out. I got away with padding my expense account. It's not that big of a deal. I got home when I was drunk. Nobody got hurt. I didn't crash into anybody. I didn't need to get an Uber. 
I got out of that stupid dinner party with just a simple little white lie. No one's ever going to know. I got away with sleeping with my boyfriend, sleeping with my girlfriend. We didn't get pregnant. My wife doesn't know about the affair. I got away with it. Why do, why do we do these things? Because the heart is deceitful above all things. Sin looks so attractive. You know what the Bible says about sin? It says it's fun for a season. And that's the truth. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. But then that season comes to a close, doesn't it? And you look back upon that season of your life with great regret because you know what you did. And God knows what you did. And you got to live with it every moment of every day. And then you look back upon it and you say things like, what in the world was I thinking? And you want to live your life for an audience of one, but you're pretty certain that he's so disappointed in you, that you're so washed up and so messed up, that even God doesn't care about you like you want him to. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, that the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's watching our every move. He knows every breath that we take. He knows every heartbeat that we have. He knows when we get up. He knows when we lie down. He knows the number of hairs upon our head. His thoughts of us outnumber the grain of sand on the seashore. And he knows all this, and he watches all this, not to slam us, not to condemn us, but to help us. He wants to lead us to the greatest life possible. He knows all about the minefields that's out there. He knows all about the devastation. He knows all about the regret. He knows all about the pain that you can do to yourself, that you can do to the heart of God, that you can do to other people. So he wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to help you along the way. He's not there trying to hammer you. He's there to show you a better way to go. Adam and Eve's eyes were open, but not to the things that they hoped for. They felt shame for the first time in their life. You ever felt shame? Shame makes us believe that we're not enough and we never will be. Shame tells us that we'll never be able to do enough or undo what we've done. And shame tells us that we're too far gone and that God might still love us, maybe. But there's no way that he likes me anymore. He calls out to Adam, where are you? God's not lost. He, he knows exactly where he is and he knows exactly the condition, the spiritual condition of where Adam and Eve are. You know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for them to come clean. He's waiting for them to finally come out of hiding. Now you think, this is where we left it last week, you would think that he would come to his senses, that he would come out and he would own his stuff and he'd say, I'm responsible, I'm the one to blame. I was there, I should have stopped her. You would have thought he would have taken responsibility. Look at what the Bible says. 
I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God looked at Adam and asked, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to not eat from? Now this is his chance, right? It's okay, Adam, own your stuff. Tell the truth. Take it like a man. Come on now, this is your shot. Do you remember when you were a kid and you did something wrong and your parents knew you did something wrong, but you didn't know they knew that you did something wrong? And they called out your name, maybe your middle name, which they never did unless you were in trouble. And what did you do? You hid from them, right? You were afraid of what they're going to say. You were afraid of what they're going to do. That's exactly what Adam does. And how many times as a kid did you blame somebody else? How many times did you say, well, it was my brother's fault, or it was my sister's fault, or it was the toy's fault, or it slipped out of my hand, it was a mistake, it was an accident, when really the truth is it was just out-and-out rebellion. You knew exactly what you were doing, you knew exactly the consequences that were coming your way, and you still did it. Come on, Adam, here's your chance. Be the man. Tell the truth. What's he do? Well, he musters up all the courage that he's got and says, it was the woman. And not just the woman. You ready for this? It was the woman you gave me. Adam says, I don't even know where she, why is she here? This is a mystery to me. Because I was in the garden with you and everything was great. You thought I was lonely, I was not lonely. And if I remember correctly, God, you kind of put me in a deep sleep and you did a little bit of surgery on me, remember that? I don't remember signing any consent form. I'll tell you that right now. And all of a sudden, I wake up and boom, chakalaka, there she is. You know what I'm saying? And look at what she did. I bet you want to rethink that one, don't you? How many times have you done the same thing? Blame somebody else or even have the audacity to blame God. And here God is good and gracious and loving enough to give you free choice and then you use that choice to rebel against him and then somehow some way we're so twisted that we turn that around and we blame him adam says oh, there's a woman <laughs> the woman you gave me and eve said whoa it was the serpent and the blame game began And truth be told, it's never stopped. It's not my fault, it's your fault. How many times you had that fight, married couples? Not my fault, it's your fault. If you hadn't said this, then I wouldn't have done that. It's not my fault, it's your fault. Passing the blame, passing the buck. How many times you blamed your mom, blamed your dad, blamed your brother, blamed your sister? You blame everybody. I blame my boss. I blame my coworkers. If they were more supportive of me, then I would be more successful. If my boss come alongside me and encourage me, then I'd be stronger than I am at my job. It's their fault, not my fault. Wouldn't it be just refreshing to say, it's me? I did it. I'm to blame. I take responsibility. That doesn't happen here. God's heard enough. And so there's some consequences that happen as a result. First, he says to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you'll give birth to children. 
And so, ladies, you have Eve to thank when you're giving birth and you're screaming and you're trying to rip the arm off of your husband. My wife always thought it was my fault. No, ladies, it's Eve's fault, okay? And then God says this. This is another curse. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. It doesn't sound like a curse to me. I don't know about you. All the men are like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Here's what it means. You'll no longer see eye to eye. You will fight. You will bicker. You will be self-absorbed as a couple. Your needs will be more important than their needs, and you will struggle with marriage. And for some of you, every single day, it's going to be a battle. Now, now it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus came. He, he, he showed us a better way. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes the secret recipe to having a great marriage, and it's about emptying yourself of yourself. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, your, your job is to love her as Jesus loves us. That's a high, it's a high standard, isn't it? And that you're to put her needs ahead of your own. You're to treat her as the princess that she is. It's a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Give yourself sacrifice for her. Die to your selfishness. Die to your uh, mochismo. And serve them in the same way that Jesus has served you. And gentlemen, if you'll do that, then your wife won't have any problem encouraging you and believing in you. She'll stop nagging you all the time for all the things that you don't do right. For all the ways that you don't see eye to eye. She'll be your biggest supporter. Your biggest encourager. And then the two can once again become one. But we don't see that much anymore, do we? We we don't see very many couples who are seeking the face of Christ on their knees. Praying together. Reading God's word together. Talking about spiritual things together. And then they wonder why their marriages are struggling so bad. It goes all the way back to Genesis. He will rule over you. Well, you don't like that. Guess what? There's going to be tension. There's going to be conflict. Or you can serve in the same way you've been served by Christ. You can put the needs of somebody ahead of yourself. You can actually place Jesus Christ as the centerpiece of your home. And you can kick aside selfishness. And you can be selfless. You can stop fighting for the me. And start living for the we. There's consequences that happened here for Eve. Consequences that happened for Adam. Look at what's next. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you eat of it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you. And you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since it was from where you were taken. For dust you are. And to dust you will return. Now, here's what's interesting. Before Adam and Eve sinned, did you know that there was work in the garden? And it was work that was enjoyable, work that was pleasing. But when everything was broken, now work was cursed as well. 
And even if you're in your dream job, the best job you could ever dream yourself being in, there will be days you'll hate it. There'll be days you come home and think about throwing in the towel. There'll be days when you think about retiring. My dad was an electrician for 40 years. The last, oh, the last five years of being an electrician, he just counting down the days. He loved it and he hated it at the same time. Now, some of you think you're going to go to heaven one day. You're going to be floating around on some cloud, listening to opera music, eating bonbons and Fritos, and that's not what's going to happen. Thank God I don't think there's going to be opera music because there's no weeping and gnashing of teeth in heaven, all right? So we'll make sure you understand that. So that's good news. You'll get work. You'll have things that God wants you to do, things that he wants you to accomplish. Are you ready for this? It won't bring sweat. It won't bring strain. It'll be everything you dream. You'll find purpose and meaning and significance like never before. But that's not till we get to the other side. Today, you will struggle. You'll have bad days. You'll sweat and you'll toil and you'll strain because of the curse. And you're also going to die. Nobody gets out alive. I'm not talking about this room. The ratio is still right, one to one. It all comes back to the curse. And then there's a curse for Satan. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And then look at verse 15 because this is the key verse. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, this is so cool. I'm going to geek out for just a second, all right? Let's look at that verse again. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. What, what is Eve's seed going to do? This, this, is the, this is the first messianic prophecy. Did you know that? We're ten verses removed from where we've rebelled against God, we've sinned against God, all creation has been broken, and ten verses in, God is giving his plan to restore things once again. To put things back together again. This is a foreshadowing. This is a foretelling. This is a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. What will Eve's seed do? We know that Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. So this is the seed of Eve. And what's going to happen? It says he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What in the world does that mean? It means Satan will wound Jesus. That, my friend, is the cross. But he will crush his head. That, my friend, is the resurrection, the empty tomb. So if you're a Christian, and whether you die in a plane crash or a car crash, or you die from cancer, or you die from heart disease, it doesn't really matter. Because your home is heaven. You're going to a place where there is no more sickness, there is no more suffering, there is no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away, for behold, he has made everything new again. You're going to a place where there is no more sin, there is no more shame, because death has been defeated. 
The grave has lost its sting and sin has lost its power because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, here's what's awesome. Adam and Eve, after they blew it, they put on fig leaves, didn't they? But that didn't quite get the job done, did it? Look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. What's happening here? God's taken away their shame, and he's taken away their sin. And how is he taking away their shame and their sin? Well, he's killed an animal. And the skin of the animal is now covering the nakedness of Adam and Eve. This is the first time in Scripture where innocent blood is shed. This is the first time when someone who's innocent dies on behalf of the guilty one. God sets the rules. He says a person cannot be forgiven of sin unless there's the shedding of blood. Why the shedding of blood? Because he wants to show you the seriousness of sin. Someone has to die. The wages of sin, the payment that we owe God for our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, you, you can pay for your sin debt on your own and think you're good enough. And he'll say, depart from me, you evil and wicked person. I never knew you. Or you can accept the payment that Jesus made on the cross when he took all of your sin and all of your shame and paid the sin debt you owe to holy God. Friends, you can walk on streets of gold. You can enter into heaven, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done for you. This is the first time innocent blood is shed, but it won't be the last time. If you read through the Old Testament, there's an elaborate sacrificial system. Every year they'd have to bring a lamb in, and the lamb would be killed. And the blood of the lamb would be poured on that altar. And that person who brought that lamb, he and his family would be forgiven of their sins for one year. But the problem was we kept on sinning. And so more lambs had to die as a result. Well, Jesus comes. He is the ultimate lamb of God. The ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And he shed his blood on the cross so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be made new again. So no matter, do you understand the implications of this? No matter what you've done, no matter what temptation you've given into, if you call upon the name of Jesus and you repent of your sin, he will forgive you and throw your sins as far as the east is from the west. The implication is he will never give up on you. So don't. Give up on yourself. Holly, holly, oxen free. It's time to come home. It's time to come out of hiding. Everybody can be free because of the precious blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we've messed it all up. We broke everything that was once beautiful. And we keep doing it. And we look on the internet day after day and we see the, the heartache and the pain and the bad choices. We look in the mirror. We see what a disappointment we believe we are. All the promises we've made. All the commitments we made.
all the sin that we've committed. Lord, we're in need, desperate need of you. We can't wash away our sin. We can't make things right with you. But you can. You're greater than it all. You're greater than our sin. Greater than our rebellion. You're greater than this broken world. And one day you're going to put it all back together again. And so Lord, for anybody who's been hiding. Anybody whose life is full of shame. I pray Lord they would come to you. Repent of their sin. Confess you as the leader and forgiver of their life. And that you would wash them as white as snow. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.